It was a very cruel scene. Executed in an unusual Welcome to Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. I'm Tori. I'm Katie. And this is our last episode of 2020. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? I feel all right. I feel okay. We gotta I feel... get through these holidays, man. <sighs> Truly. We have to eat all of the cookies. We have to have Hannah's birthday celebration. Obviously, we're not really having anything, no. but she's still going to be another year older. Yep. We have to get through the Christmas, the New Year. Oh, the Thanksgiving. Yeah, we'll be back in 2021 with fresh new butts. We're getting butt implants. <laughs> They're going to be how... powdered and round and slappy. And juicy. <laughs> Um, do you see how my brain works, though? Yeah. Isn't I, it I really do. just annoying? I do. I think, what is it, January 7th we'll be back? January 7th, we're going to be back with an all-new episode full of crime, murder, hostile environments. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> hostile. I mean, it's not um, wrong. <laughs> it's tr- truly not. So, the last episode of 2020, but we will be back we're next be year, back. bitches. Brand spanking new. If I'm nasally, it's because um, she has I'm a cat. allergic to cats and I have a cat, so sorry about it. Don't ask how that happened. That's fine. I forgot my allergy pill. Oh. <sighs> oh, no. So, here I am. I'm a nasally mess. So, since the world of true crime never really stops... We've got some headlines for you. We do, and I think you should hit me first. I'll go. All right. This is from IFLScience.com. Intrigued. I fucking love science is what it stands for. Oh, really? I do fucking love science. I thought you were, yeah, I thought you were telling me that you love science. (laughs) No, I, I like this website. Okay. This is written by Tom Hale, and it's from 2018. Even though it just made its rounds again, they must have just been sharing it again. I don't know. Um, it's titled, Artist Live-Streamed Cannibalism Performance, Where Two People Were Fed Their Own Flesh. Trigger warning, people are eating their, themselves um, around these cam. parts. On, on live Ew. cam. It says, warning, graphic content. Latvian artist, Arthur... Oh, Arthur... <laughs> Doyle. Arthur... <laughs> the aardvark. <laughs> Arthur Berzinch, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy has cooked up some controversy, oh, cooked up, get it, has cooked up some controversy after live streaming a cannibalistic performance where two people have their own flesh sliced off with a scalpel, sizzled in a pan, and then fed to them. Oh, Needless to say, people were pretty outraged with the performance, spurring. A I love f- how they're calling it a fucking performance. He's <laughs> an artist. God, it was live performance, spurring a flurry of complaints and even some attention from the police. You don't say, hmm. Arthur. Quote, this performance is a metaphor of consumer society that consumes itself. Oh, my God. Okay, that's true, though. But we don't need to be eating our own flesh. I mean, I would have got it without him doing a cannibal performance. I feel like you could have done something. You could have gone a different direction, Arthur. (laughs) Yeah. Do a painting. Do a sculpture. Do an interpretive dance, Arthur. My God. So he wrote that in the description of the performance called... 
eschatology, which I think that's right, eschatology, which means the spiritual study of death and the end times. Regardless of what you think about the artistic message, cannibalism isn't recommended, scientifically speaking. Eh, no shit. Human flesh is said to taste like a mix of pork and veal. Convicted murderer and cannibal Armin Muse reportedly said, quote, The flesh tastes like pork, a little bit more bitter, stronger. It tastes quite good. End quote. This is because human muscle tissue is made up of many similar proteins and fats as these large mammals. Ew. I don't, um, I don't, I can't get behind that. And it goes on because it's a science website. It goes on about the science behind cannibalism and sure. what it does to your body and, and all of that, which I'm not going to read. But what the fuck, Arthur? Honestly. Honestly. I wonder I, if those people consent, I mean... Consented. Obviously, he would have been arrested if he was holding them and forcing them to do it. Well, you would think. One would but, think. But, I mean, I, I think there's people that are just into that, you know? I mean, in the name of art. And they're not eating someone else. They're eating themselves. Right. Fuck. So, can you truly be charged for eating oneself? <laughs> Maybe because I don't know. they streamed it. <laughs> That's what I got. What do you got for me? Okay, I have something for you. My article comes from abcnews.com. Okay. And the title is, Alleged Porch Pirate Arrested After Wearing Exact Same Shirt to Court from Surveillance Footage. <laughs> what a dumbass, right? I love that. And right underneath the title, there's a heading that says, quote, Sometimes people actually do make our jobs easy. <laughs> true. true. Okay. True. This says, quote, an accused porch pirate has been arrested after wearing the exact same shirt the very next day to a South Carolina courtroom that he had worn to steal packages from people's porches, according to authorities. The series of events began after a picture of a man in a green and red North Face shirt was posted to the Goose Creek resident group on Facebook by somebody claiming he had stolen packages that had been left on porches in the neighborhood. That's so fucking shitty. Isn't it? Don't do that. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Beware of this porch pirate, the social media <laughs> post began. This was around noon today in the Oaks. Notice the empty Amazon package in his hand? It is something he stole off a neighbor's porch and threw the empty package in my trash can, dumb crook, and then, <laughs> and then stole the package off my porch, all on camera, and stuffed it in his backpack with whatever else he had stolen in the neighborhood. He was with a second person, also on a bicycle. The police have been notified. You know, you can't just go do that because There's everyone's now. got those ring doorbells they're always on sale always. there's always good deals on those ring doorbells so everyone gets them he just didn't even he just wanted the stuff well, and you know it what was that's like, a gamble too you don't know what the fuck you're truly. gonna get and i was just thinking it's like those grab bags it is the five dollar <laughs> grab bags it's very enticing mm -hmm. truly it's like oh it's only five dollars what, what am i gonna get i and know you spend the five dollars and then you get shit i'm always disappointed in everything in everything. my life so that's why i just avoid grab bags you know, that's why I'm not a porch pirate. No. <laughs> I thought of you yesterday when I just got my brand new Murder Squad um, sticker. Oh, yeah. I set it on my kitchen table and then I spilled water all that's over That's my it. life. I'm and I thought of you. you. Yep. And I even said out loud, I yelled, oh, sure, this would happen because it's something of mine. Yes. <laughs> I was so upset. Everything it was I buy gets but ruined. Still, <laughs> it's annoying. It really is. I was very upset about it. The article, okay, so the article goes on to say, however, in an announcement posted to Facebook by the Goose Creek Police Department, 
Authorities confirmed that the man had been arrested after appearing in a courtroom the very next day, wearing the same shirt he had been pictured in <laughs> while stealing the items off residential porches. So he was in court for something else, dumb, apparently? Dumb. I guess so, yeah. Wow. Remember seeing the post on the left, the Goose Creek Police Department asked in the social media post? Well, sometimes people actually do make our job easy. <laughs> this guy decided to come into our car into our courtroom the day after the first post was made. And lucky for us, he was even wearing the same shirt. We are happy to say he is in custody. The porch pirate is walking the plank. He truly is. Aye. No. Arr. <laughs> aye. <laughs> aye. I'm sure some of them said aye. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that was a little bit of lighthearted humor. Well, especially with the holidays coming up and everybody ordering online. Right? Probably even more this year. Beware of the porch pirates. Yep. Get your ring doorbells your while ring they're doorbell. on sale. Black Friday, snatch it up. And beware of those porch pirates. Are you ready for your Q-O-T-D-W, Tori? Q-O-T-D-W. You sent me this one. Or I you, did. You, you forward, forwarded it <laughs> <laughs> to me. I did. Whatever that means. <laughs> This is from Lydia on the Twitter. Hey, Lydia on the Twitter. She wants to know what our favorite season of American Horror Story is. <gasps> Do you want me to go first? Go ahead. Um, I absolutely loved the first season, The Murder House. Murder House. I also did really like Roanoke. Me too. A lot, which of, a people, lot of people did. A lot of people hated Roanoke. I liked it. I did too. Um, and I did like the political one too, whatever one that was. Oh, Colts. Yeah. Colts. Yeah. That one because. I, that's one of my favorites and the everyone sweet baby angel it because it's got so much true so many true crime references mm-hmm. in it um i think people because it was i think it was right around the time of the like 2016 election yes. and of course they they started it off with the whole hillary trump thing right and i think people were really turned off by that it's not even what it was about no at all like they it was jonestown mm-hmm. heaven's gate branch davidians waco um, they had the Zodiac Killer in there. They had um, they had the um, when Andy Warhol got shot. Oh, there yes. were so many true crime references that yeah. I just loved it. Yeah, and it was really about like the cult mentality. Right. It was just how, about the yeah. getting behind someone regardless of what he's doing to you. Yeah, and you're still following him. Yeah, and that's I think that's why they started out with the like the election stuff because right. the country's polarized even worse now than I think four Absolutely. years ago way worse i think because but it's just four, the mentality that right. they were exploring and i think four years ago no one thought it was possible that trump could even be elected right um anyway but yeah if you guys i mean obviously you like true crime you're here if you're one of the ones that gave up on cult in the beginning mm-hmm. it gets better yeah you gotta keep i liked it, it from the beginning but yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah so murder house roanoke and the cult one yeah a lot of people like coven yeah. It wasn't one of my favorites. It just I, wasn't. I don't know. I didn't even finish watching it. Yeah. And that's, I think, oh, and the other one we don't like is the hotel one. Yeah. Hotel was okay. Couldn't not my favorite. I never finished Freak Show. I just couldn't get into Freak Show. No, me either. Mm-mm. Me either. And I just saw that they came out. They didn't out, have one. Or they're coming out. No, not this year. But there's American Horror Stories. Now, I think it's on Netflix. I could be wrong, where it's a different story each episode. Oh. I think that's that about American Horror Story. Yeah, thanks for that. That was everyone's a good question. Got, yeah, everyone's got strong opinions on American Horror Story. So you guys will have to let us know. I think that you go first this week. I go first this week. I do. We've got some 
strange disappearances. Mine is strange. Mine is a little weird. Yeah. Truly bizarre. Uh-huh. Mine is. So let's just jump right in. You guys should buckle up because we've got some long boys for you this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, we do. I'm talking to you about the strange disappearance of Joan Rich. Mm. This one surprised me because for how long ago it was, it was in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot out there, a lot of information, a lot of detail. But with all that there is out there about Joan Rich, um, it's unsolved. We Which don't is know crazy, what the right? fuck happened to Joan. Yeah. So just after 4.30 p.m. on October 24th, 1961, authorities showed up at the Rich House in Lincoln, Massachusetts. The occupants of the home were Martin Rich, Joan Rich, who was 31, their daughter Lillian, who was four at the time, and their son David, who was around two years old. Okay. At 4.33 p.m., a neighbor and friend named Barbara Baker had called the police after little Lillian came to her house and said, Mommy is gone and the kitchen is covered with red paint. Oh, no. Yeah. So little Lillian ran across the street to Barbara's house and and told her this. No, no, no. Lillian told Barbara that David was in his crib crying because his diaper needed to be changed. Mm -hmm. And obviously mom wasn't around. Barbara had gone across the street to the Rish house after, after Lillian came and told her what was going on. She went across the street. She went into the house to check things out. And she quickly realized that Lillian was correct. There was a trail of what looked like red paint starting at the Rish house like at the front door, going down the driveway to the car. The kitchen was smeared with what looked like the same red paint. Mm-hmm. It's, it's blood. Right. It's not red paint. Spoiler alert. For a, to a four-year-old, that was what she thought it was. Right. And it's little, probably better that she thought that, Yeah, honestly. yeah. And little David was in his crib screaming. So five minutes after Barbara's phone call to the police, Sergeant Mike McHugh of the Lincoln Police showed up at the house He found the red smears all over the kitchen walls. The table was overturned, like their kitchen table, flipped over. The trash can was taken out from underneath the kitchen sink, and it was placed in the middle of the kitchen floor. And the receiver of the wall-mounted telephone was inside of the trash can. Hmm. Martin, the husband and dad, he was on a business trip in New York City, and Joan Rich was nowhere to be found. That's convenient. Yeah. I'm just saying. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on the Rish family and the events of the day leading up to Joan's disappearance. Okay. I can barely talk. I'm sorry, guys. Joan was born Joan Bard in Brooklyn, New York City in 1930. And when she was around nine years old, her family moved to New Jersey. When Joan was 10, both of her parents died in a fire that was deemed suspicious. Mm. While Joan was out of the house, she was visiting family when that happened. So after the fire and her parents dying, Joan was taken in by relatives who eventually adopted her. Later on, in a 1993 article, an acquaintance of Joan's came forward and said that Joan had admitted to them that she'd been sexually abused by her foster dad as a child, so the man that adopted her. There isn't a whole lot out there about either of these events, like the fire or the alleged sexual abuse, but she'd clearly endured like a shit ton of trauma. In a short amount of time. Yeah, before she was even a teenager. Right. This poor girl. While her brain was developing. Yep. Deeming things normal and abnormal. Mm -hmm. Joan went on to graduate from Wilson College in 1952 with a degree in English Lit, and she found a job in the publishing industry. 
She started as a secretary, and she climbed that fucking ladder until she became an editorial assistant. Look at her. Yeah. I like that. Doing cool stuff, Joan. She met Martin, who was an executive at the company she worked for, and they got married in 1956. Joan left her job to start a family with Martin. So they had Lillian and David while they were living in Ridgefield, Connecticut, and in April of 1961... So this is the year she went missing. She went missing in October of 61, and they moved into the house in April okay, of that year. so only a few short yeah, months. Yeah, they hadn't even lived in the town a year yet. Okay. Um, so they moved into the home Joan would eventually go missing from in Lincoln, Massachusetts, which is it's right outside of Boston. They fit right into the neighborhood. They made friends with their neighbors. Martin was working for a paper company. Joan was talking about becoming a teacher once her kids were school-aged. School Everything seemed fine. Joan's foster mom, Alice, who divorced her husband, who was the one who was accused of sexually abusing oh, Joan. Good. She she had divorced him by now. She said, quote, I think they were extremely happy. They had a beautiful home, two lovely children, and they were congenial companions, as far as I know. So they seemed to be just a normal suburban family. This neighborhood was pretty wealthy, like upper middle class, I would say. Nothing crazy okay but it was a nice neighborhood nice homes they were they had big yards usually there were tree-lined properties so lots of privacy so the day that Joan disappeared October 24th Martin had gotten up super early for his flight he drove his car to Logan Airport and boarded his plane to New York City at 8 a.m. Um, his trip was planned. It wasn't last minute or anything like that. Um, he was going to be staying overnight in Manhattan. So a little while after Martin left, Joan woke up the kids. She made them breakfast. She took little David to Barbara Baker's house across the street. She's the one who ends up calling the police. Joan left David with her because Joan had a dentist appointment and two-year-olds suck. So yeah. she took Lillian with her to the dentist. She dropped little David off. After the dental appointment, Joan and Lillian stopped at a department store to pick something up, and she paid with cash. In the meantime, milk and mail were delivered at the Rish home Okay. while no one was there. Neither the mail carrier or the milkman reported anything out of place or out of the ordinary at the house. So Joan and Lillian make their way back to the neighborhood. Joan picks David up from Barbara, and the three of them return to their house at around 11.15 a.m. Just after they got home, a dry cleaner delivery driver stopped at the house to pick something up. I think it was Martin's suits he was picking up for cleaning. This driver had to come inside of the house to do this, and they they didn't report anything out of the ordinary either. The house seemed fine. Joan seemed fine. After the driver left, Joan changed out of her fancy appointment clothes and into a blue house dress and white tennis shoes. Mm. Did you know tennis shoes is like a Midwest thing? Yes. I didn't know that. They call them sneakers. Sneakers. Where are we, that... where are we sneaking off to? <laughs> I in hate our that. Sneakers. Mm -hmm. I hate sneakers. that. Sneakers. Just we're sneaking. Did you see the poll I put on the Instagram story about no. crayon rhyming with man? No. And I put, do you agree? Yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> crayon yeah. rhymes with man. Yeah. Only like half of the people agreed with me. Really? Because they say crayon. 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 Like some sort of fucking duchess. Yeah. Cray come on. Crayon. Crayon. Like caramel. Caramel. You don't, you're doing that on purpose. <laughs> it's <laughs> You're being facetious. <laughs> okay. Caramel covered crayon. <laughs> crayon a man. Okay. Anyway. 
Um, so she's doing the mom thing. She makes lunch for the kids and she put David into his crib for his nap, which usually lasted from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Must be nice. <laughs> At 1 p.m., Barbara Baker dropped her little boy, Douglas, who was also four, off at Jones so that he could play with Lillian. While Barbara was over there, she noticed Joan kind of like coming in and out of the house. Joan pruned some of her plants and then she put the pruning shears back in the garage where she got them from. Just an observation that Barbara had made. Mm -hmm. So just before 2 p.m., Joan took Lillian and Douglas back over to Barbara's house and told them she'd be right back. Like, these kids are just getting shuffled all over. (laughs) Lillian and Douglas, they went into the backyard of Barbara's house and played on the swing set. And when she was questioned later, Lillian would tell the police that she didn't notice anyone else around the neighborhood at the time. She's also four. Right. So they don't notice much. And since Barbara's house where they were, the kids were, is across the street from the Rish house, they were in the backyard, they couldn't see, they didn't have like a view of the Rish house. Right. Um, I don't know where Barbara is at this time. I, I'm assuming she's inside of her house, probably just keeping an eye on the kids and, and doing shit. David is still at home across the street in his crib. Oh. So it's around 2.15 p.m., Barbara sees Joan just for a minute from across the street, like through the trees, kind of like she doesn't have a clear view of her, but she notices her wearing something like a trench coat over her clothes. And she said Joan had something red either on her or around her. And she was like holding her arms out in front of her walking like she I think Barbara assumed she was like maybe chasing little David, like playing a game or something like that. But I'm just imagining like a zombie walk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And that was the last confirmed sighting of Joan Rish. So about an hour later, we're at like 3.15 p.m. now, Virginia Keene, who was the next door neighbor of the Rishes, she got off the school bus and while she was walking home, she noticed a strange car, like one she had never seen before, maybe a GM, it was dirty, it was two-toned, some parts of it were blue. That's all she recalled. Um, A few minutes later, another neighbor had stopped while driving to let a car back out of either the Keen's house or the Rich's house. They couldn't recall which which house this car backed out of. And the Keen's say, so Virginia Keen and her mom said there was no car in their driveway at the time. So that leaves the Rish's driveway. Right. That car must have been coming from there. So Barbara takes Lillian home at 3.40 p.m. because Barbara's got shit to do. She has to go to the store. She was going to take her own kids to the store. She She didn't need to take all of them. No, no. She wasn't going to take Lillian. So she walked Lillian back home. And she assumed Joan was inside of her house. So she kind of just dropped Lillian off and left. Barbara got back from her shopping trip at around 4.15 p.m., and this is when Lillian came running back over. She told her her mom was gone. She said David was in his crib crying. She told her about the red stuff, and Barbara calls the police. So we're back at the cops showing up at the Rish house, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. We're up to speed. We're up to speed. So like I said, Sergeant Mike McHugh is the first one there. He's there within five minutes of the phone call. And he sees the red stuff, which, yes, it really is blood and not paint. And he sees the overturned table, the weird thing with the phone in the trash can. No Joan. His first thought is that maybe she took her own life. So he searched the house to see if he could find her body. But he finds nothing no body no joan he decides he needs backup because they have to start a full-scale investigation and a search so a notification is sent out to like the local hospitals asking them to 
let the police know if someone comes in matching her description or if someone has already been admitted matching Joan's description. Barbara calls Martin's work. Um, she finds out that he's on this business trip in New York City and the Massachusetts State Police, they track him down. They let him know about what's going on. Like you need to get home immediately and Martin's able to catch the next flight back home. So he really was in New York City. Okay. His alibi is solid. So the house is searched more thoroughly and they end up finding Joan's purse. After going through her wallet and her receipts, they found that Joan had cashed a check the day before and after paying for things in cash all day, she would have about $10 left, which is like $90 today. They checked out the day's mail delivered to the home and there were four pieces of mail that hadn't been brought inside. In the kitchen, the phone book was on the counter open to the page where you could write down emergency emergency phone numbers oh wow but they were all blank but it was left open to that hmm. they found an empty liquor bottle in the trash can um, martin did confirm that he and joan finished that bottle the night before he left but they also found empty beer bottles in the trash can and martin had no idea where those came from mm. he didn't buy them he didn't know of joan buying them and i don't think joan was known to drink beer so okay. So they canvassed the neighborhood. A few Suspicious. other, yeah. A few other neighbors say that they they saw Joan after Barbara's last confirmed sighting when she was walking weird. Um, one person says they saw a woman wearing what Joan was last seen wearing, with a kerchief over her head, like tied underneath her chin, walking along the side of Route Two A, kind of wandering, hunched over. They can't confirm that it's really her, though. You know what I mean? Right. It's, Looks like her, maybe. Yeah. Maybe they made it up. You don't right. know. Right. We know that people yeah. are they like notorious for doing that. Insert themselves. themselves in the middle. Yep. Someone else said that they had seen a woman wearing matching clothes with blood running down her legs, walking north on Route 128, like disoriented, cradling like her belly. And there were several other sightings similar to these, but like I said, they, they couldn't be confirmed as Joan. There were also some reports about a car that matched the description of the car that Virginia Keene saw by the house. So the milkman, he was the regular milkman. They didn't like switch and have, sure. you know, he was, it was he like delivered their route every day. Yep. He said that he saw a car that matched that description in the area five days earlier. So that's okay. weird. Yeah. And just like with the unconfirmed sightings of Joan, there were other unconfirmed sightings of this car, too, but they're unreliable. Virginia didn't really even know how to describe the car, you know? Like, she's like, oh, maybe it's a GM, maybe yeah. it was blue. Not really sure. So, we don't know. So, more about the blood found everywhere. There was a lot of it, but they couldn't figure out where it might have come from, as in, like, there wasn't, like, a pattern to it. It wasn't, like splatter you know what yeah. i mean it kind of it was kind of just like smears everywhere and hmm. drips and like handprints and fingerprints okay they did later match it to joan's blood type type o but that's like the most common blood type so i mean probably was jones you still can't say that it definitely was jones and the dna wasn't a thing yet right so they're like it's probably jones blood we can't say for sure there were huge smears, like I said. So big smears of blood on the kitchen walls, on the kitchen floor, um, blood on the phone, unidentified bloody fingerprints, which were not Jones. They eventually fingerprinted over 5,000 people, but none of them were a match. They never found a match for these fingerprints. There was a roll of paper towels on the floor with blood on them. One was ripped off and it looked like it might have been used to try to wipe some blood up. 
A pair of coveralls and a pair of underwear belonging to David were found on the floor with blood on them. The coveralls appeared to be compressed, like as if there was something heavy sitting on them for a long time, like a hmm. body, maybe. David was fine, by the way, the baby. His, I don't know why his underwear were there, bloody. Yeah. Unless they were grabbed to, to try to wipe it up, too. I don't know. It's just weird. They found drops of blood near the stairs, at the top of the stairs, in the master bedroom, and by a window in one of the kids' rooms. And remember, like, the, the trail outside, the trail of blood? Mm-hmm. It started in the kitchen, and it trailed all the way to the front driveway to Joan's car. Her car had blood on the right rear fender, the left side of the hood, like, close to the windshield, and in the middle of the trunk. They couldn't figure out where the blood started, or, like, whoever was bleeding, if it was Joan, where the injury occurred. Sure. And another thing I thought was weird, there were no bloody footprints or shoe yeah, prints right none so either they were very careful or they were very lucky it's just weird um it didn't look like there was a struggle despite all of the blood and while it looked like a lot of blood it was determined that it was only around a half a pint which they determined wasn't enough to say she suffered a life-threatening injury. Sure. Also, there was nothing missing from the Rish house. Okay. So which is that important. yeah, that ruled out robbery as an initial motive. It's just so fucking weird because like no one heard any screams. Mm-hmm. If Joan did scream, there were definitely people within earshot. You know, right. neighbors were getting home from school. The neighbor, her Barbara was right across the street. The kids were back and forth. There were delivery people all day long. I was gonna say that earlier. She came into a into contact with a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, so it's day. not like a super quiet, deserted neighborhood. Like right. there were people. But then, like you also think about all these like attacks and abductions that we hear about. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of variables, right? Details that change things. Reasons why she wouldn't scream, which I'll get into that too. My initial theory was after you said that you saw someone like walking cradling her stomach Mm -hmm. I thought maybe she had like a miscarriage Mm -hmm. and she just like you know how you can have um like psychosis yeah afterwards and she just like you know became psychotic and started just like you know freaking out Mm -hmm. and smeared the blood but the and that one match was someone seeing her walking because she wouldn't know what she was doing right but they found fingerprints that weren't hers yeah and they would have if it was anyone else like barbara like if she had been there they would i'm sure they fingerprinted her right so it would have to be someone that wasn't supposed to be there yeah so unless that person got her pregnant oh i'll go over some some good theories to abort it yeah abort the mission Mm -hmm. but that's those are just my initial theories okay so joan's story blew up reporters started digging into like her life along with the police a reporter for lincoln's newspaper the fence viewer a reporter named serene gerson went to lincoln's public library to research other missing persons cases just to have like some background info while reporting on joan's case i'm thinking like uh statistics and stuff like she was looking up there was no google so sure, right know. 
Um, Serene was at checking the library. Out. Yeah, you have to go to the library and look at the fucking encyclopedias and, and get the the <laughs> car the card catalog. Yes. So Serene was checking out this book about the disappearance of Brigham Young's 27th wife. He was one of the leaders of the LDS church. And yes. He had like 55 wives. But anyway, Serene was checking out this book about the disappearance of this woman. And she was looking at the, um, the card. Like, remember looking at library books? You could mm-hmm. pull the card out and see who checked it out. Well, it turns out Joan had checked that book out about a month before she disappeared. Ooh. Not weird on its own. Maybe a little bit weird. But... Serene did some more digging, and she found that Joan had also checked out the book called Into Thin Air, which is about a woman who disappeared and left behind blood smears everywhere. Oh, my God. In a staged disappearance. Right. Okay. Serene dug some more and gathered a group of volunteers to sift through library records, and they found that Joan had checked out a total of 25 books the summer before she disappeared, and most of them had to do with murder, kidnappings, and missing persons. So she was basically us. Right. And, like, the rumor, this is how the rumor that Joan staged her own disappearance, this is kind of how it got started. The books were, like, the, the catalyst for that. And yeah, we've talked about this before. 99% of the books that we read mm-hmm. and write have to do with murder and, and kidnapping Google searches. and fake deaths. And right. yeah, so could I, you imagine? God, I hope that if I ever go missing, that they don't look at what I read and right. assume that I did it myself. Exactly. And not, and not put enough into an investigation yeah. because they think that you have something to do with uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Yep. I'll make sure they know because you would tell me. I would tell you. If I was going to fake my own disappearance, mm-hmm. I would tell you. And Joan had an English lit degree. Like, she worked for publishers before. She liked books. Yeah, right. I don't Maybe know. Maybe she was going to write a book about yeah. it. Yeah. You never know. Serene. So before we get into, like, some other theories, we're going to take a look at some suspects. <gasps> okay. Martin Risch. And we know he had a rock-solid alibi. He wasn't even in the same state when Joan disappeared. It doesn't mean he couldn't have set something up, mm-hmm. but he was cleared. Okay. So, in 1959, Congress was turning this area, which included the Rish neighborhood, into a national park, Minuteman National Park. It was apparently the route that British troops marched when they left Boston to the battles of Lexington and Concord in 1775, which makes it a big fucking deal at the start of the Revolutionary War. So, the area that they wanted to make into a national park, it included this neighborhood that the Rishes lived in. So... They wanted to, like, restore it back to its historic appearance, so that was going to include, like, some construction, stuff like that. So a man named Robert Foster had been in the area going door-to-door discussing this project with the homeowners in the area, and when he was looked into by police, they found out that several women he'd visited felt that something was very, very off about him. Mm, He lingered in their homes too long. You know, we just get that feeling. Yeah. You get the creep vibes. You just you just know ass mood. It is. It is. So this guy was in the neighborhood const not constantly. What's the word I'm looking for? Consistently. Yeah. And like kind of almost canvassing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm, Okay. So on the day that she disappeared, Robert said that he had lunch with his boss around 1 p.m. And by 3, he'd gone back to the Lincoln area to meet with an appraiser. Um, His alibi was verified by three different people. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was just a weird man. Maybe. Maybe he had something in mind. Maybe he did. But maybe it wasn't that I bet he's not an innocent 
boy. No. I bet he's not. I bet he looks at the dirty pictures. (laughs) Even if he didn't hurt Joan. So there were several bodies found in the area in the years to come. None of them were Joan. They never got any other useful leads. They never found her. Martin lived in the house and he raised the kids. He never had Joan declared legally dead. He never changed his phone number in case Joan called someday. And he died in 2009, never knowing what happened to his wife. Uh. He was convinced until the day he died that Joan was alive and she was experiencing amnesia and wandered Uh. off and got lost. She didn't have a history of anything like that. Yeah. Didn't mean she couldn't have hurt herself Mm -hmm. at home and, you know, but that's, that was his theory. I think he just didn't want to think about her being dead. Yeah. Right. So. Or leaving on her own. Right. Right. Who would want to think about that? Yeah. So the most popular theory, it seems, is that Joan faked her own abduction and death by staging a crime scene and that she really just wanted to leave and start a new life. The books that she checked out from the library are like the main support for this. I think Mm -hmm. if it weren't for those books, it wouldn't be such a popular theory. Yeah. Into Thin Air, that book that I was talking about, the staged disappearance in that was very similar to Joan's Joan's crime scene or scene, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, People say that Joan's traumatic past was a great reason for her to vanish. I don't know. They say that her husband being out of town would be a great time to leave. But if she did all of this, if Joan staged all of it, why go through all of that? Like the blood everywhere. You know what I mean? And why traumatize your little girl? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like she wouldn't have done that. I didn't know her. Yeah, right. Right. I feel like from what I read, she was a good mom. And I just feel like she wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Or if she did, she wouldn't do it where she knew the little girl would find all the blood and everything. Yeah. I don't know. And like it was a busy day. She only had like an hour and a half time frame to do all of this. Like, the milkman was coming around. The mail Uh carrier was coming around. The dry cleaner person was coming around. Robert Foster was probably out peeping in windows. Barbara. And Barbara was right there coming back and forth. I just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to me. And if those unconfirmed sightings of the bloody woman wandering around really were Joan and she staged it, why, why wander around and risk being seen or picked up? So another theory is that Joan was having an affair They got into a fight, they had a physical confrontation, and he killed her. This isn't confirmed, and it can't be confirmed, but there's a person who frequents message boards online who claims to be a former neighbor of the Rich family, and this person says that it was known in the area that Joan had a lover. Mm. I don't know. People lie online all the damn time. She didn't even live there that long. Right. (laughs) And everyone wants to be someone online. Yeah. So some people say that the strange car seen around the Rish house was said lover's car. But if we go with this theory, we can't rule out that this person wasn't an acquaintance who weaseled their way into Joan's life and he turned out to be a predator. It didn't have to be a lover. Right. Could have just been someone who got a little too obsessed with her right. who she was being nice to. Because that's what we fucking do and right. we shouldn't. It's fucking exhausting. It is. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the man was a lover, but if he was a lover, it would make sense for Joan to take her older child to Barbara's while he was there. Because a four-year-old can tell dad that a man was over. A two-year-old can't. Right. So, I mean, that makes sense to me. Also, the beer bottles in the trash. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. And Um, she was probably planning on taking them out. Right. 
but then whatever happened happened yep yep and the beer bottles if if the guy was drunk it would have been easier to get into a fight easier to get mad easier to hurt joan and if joan knew this person if there was a person in her house mm-hmm. if joan knew them it would make sense why she didn't scream because right. it wasn't an intruder right you know? she did not feel threatened yeah and maybe this person hurt her and maybe it just wasn't like that bad of an injury and she didn't want to draw attention to herself or the house because she had a secret lover over. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just, ugh. Um, they never did find any concrete evidence of a secret affair. They hadn't even lived there that long, like I right. said. L- less than a year. And like when you've got two little kids, it's You hard. don't have time to In do a household. anything. Yeah. How the hell are you going to find time to get a lover? God. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's also the fact that no one locked their doors in this neighborhood when they left their house. It just it, it wasn't a thing that you, you did. Um, Joan's house was unlocked that whole day and she was in and out. You know, she was around town. She was across the street. Someone could have easily entered, mm-hmm. hid some snuck up on her hurt her they could have put their hand over her mouth so right. she didn't scream door-to-door salesmen were a thing she had talked to some before she had bought magazines from some before so it's just there's so many variables and possibilities the possibilities are truly mm-hmm. endless there's the blood on her car and the fact that barbara saw her kind of walking strangely with her arms outstretched when you think about it that's the way that you walk when you can't see right Joan could have been blindfolded. She could have had an injury to her eyes. She was wandering, like trying to feel around for her car, maybe, just to get in it for protection, even if she couldn't see to drive it. And that's how the blood ended up on her car. Yeah. I don't know. Another theory is that Joan had a home abortion that went horribly wrong, and whoever was doing the abortion panicked mm-hmm. and took her body. The beer could have been some form of anesthesia, but like, let's be honest, like if you're looking for anesthesia in, in alcohol form, you want something stronger. Yeah, but no maybe, shit. I don't know. I don't know the, the thinking right. behind it. Maybe Joan knew that it was going wrong. She tried to call for help. The abortionist ripped the phone from the wall because yeah. if you look at the pictures, it does look like Joan was in the corner of the kitchen bleeding where the phone was located. Mm-hmm. Abortions were illegal. Mostly, this was before Roe versus Wade. That person wouldn't have wanted to get in trouble. And nowadays, I know that they can distinguish blood from an abortion or birth or miscarriage from like blood from a vein. Right. You can tell the difference. I don't know if they could tell the difference back then. I'm not sure. And yeah. And did they even think about that? Right. When they were when they were running. Right. I don't even know if this was one of their theories. I don't know. Um, But this would align with that unconfirmed sighting of a woman with blood running down her legs, like you said, clutching her belly. Um, There was zero evidence of Joan being pregnant at all. It doesn't mean much. But my biggest thing is like, why would you schedule that on such a busy day Mm -hmm. in such a short window of time? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just wondering if who my thing is, what if the lover Mm-hmm. You know, what if he came over and like, sh- you know, trigger warning, shoved a fucking clothes hanger up there because he right. found out and he just thought, you know, we got to get this out. Yeah. Or maybe she did it herself, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, before she could even show or anything. Right. What if it was like something like that? Yeah. Well, we know there was someone else there. There's the yeah. fingerprints. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. But, I definitely think totally. a lover or a someone was yeah. there. Yeah, totally. And another weird thing, though, is there wasn't any blood in the bathroom at all. And you would think that, I mean, obviously, it was a very quick thing, whatever happened to her. Yeah. But you would think that 
they would clean try to clean up in the bathroom if they were going to get paper towels and try to wipe some of it up I don't know. There's just so many like yeah. different fucking directions. This and goes. we're never going to know. We're this. never going to know. The last theory is that Joan had some sort of accident inside of her house, like a head injury, or she became disoriented. She wandered off and probably died somewhere. She could have been experiencing rapid blood loss. She'd gone into shock. She was confused. It doesn't explain the phone being ripped off the wall. It doesn't explain like the other sightings. Or like the car thing. Right. And the fingerprints. The fingerprints. It doesn't explain why someone had tried to wipe up some of the blood unless she did it. I don't know. The only other thing I can think of, like with the cleaning up of the blood or trying to clean up of the blood, if it was Lillian. Yeah. Who thought it was paint. Thought she was helping out her mom. Yeah. That's fucking sad to me. Yeah. I don't know. But personally, yeah, I think someone she knew hurt her. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they got the body out without anyone seeing that's the thing yeah you wouldn't think that you would park in the driveway right unless the car that virginia saw because it wasn't parked in the driveway right it was parked in the in the area right unless that was someone's car they parked a little bit down the road and then the car that someone saw backing out maybe they had moved the car to the house to get the body Mm -hmm. and then backed out and that's when that person saw them but they couldn't (laughs) remember if it was even their house that right. they were backing out of and like just did they so pull maddening. into a garage and like put right. the body in the car did they carry her out like how the fuck did no one see she had to right i know she had to have been outside bleeding right because there was blood on her car there was a trail car. of blood yeah no footprints and how the f- <laughs> yeah it's just so weird isn't it i don't understand yeah i just think that it was someone she knew she led into the house they hurt her killed her took her body mm-hmm. i don't because know then she was seen walking like she couldn't see it's just right. so fucking weird right joan can what we do happened? a ouija board for joan i would like what to happened, i would really like to know what happened yeah. to her it's a wild one i don't know what happened to joan. that one's bot that one bothers me yeah but it's very sad her kids were so little yeah they had to grow up without her oh i hate that i don't know Tell me a story, Tori. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to be telling you about the disappearances of Heather and Penelope Inks. Heather is a mom. Penelope is a little girl. I was wondering. Mm -hmm. Just for clarification. Let me tell you about Heather, mom, first. Okay. I actually found her model mayhem profile online. Mm -hmm. And this is her about me section. Okay. Quote. Heather Inks is a professional model with 10 plus years of experience. She specializes in jewelry and commercial work. Heather is a professional educator, math and computers, fitness instructor, yoga, professional freelance writer and artist, pottery, painting, wood creations, furniture painting, custom art, and coloring book author. She has dancing, ballet, modern, and cultural dance from college and professional acting experience such as at SeaWorld in a SeaWorld infomercial with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, JTT. Mm-hmm. Lucky gal. Such a crush on him when I was little. Same. She can also do makeup, staging, and hair. She has worked as a marketing consultant for photography and fitness studios that are still successful despite the economy. Heather has been educated at Rollins College, Valencia, and Stetson University. I probably said some of those wrong. She can be contacted at blah, 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 yahoo.com and is available for modeling, acting, photography, writing, custom art, and coloring book opportunities, end quote. Wow. She was just a fucking Jan of all trades. She was busy as hell. Truly. Is there a picture of her on there? Yeah, she is. Oh, wow. She was really pretty. 
On the Model Mayhem website, it also had a very lengthy list of past jobs. Okay. I'm going to read those now. That's all quoting from their website, just for transparency. Chi, fashion and hair runway show. She was an opening runway model. Ooh. She was an axe, you know, like the, the body... The, the, the deodorant and the, yeah, mm-hmm. they, the hygiene they, they bathe stuff. in yes and make you choke okay. yeah so she was an axe angel december 2013 october 2013 july 2013 and may 2013 all right whatever that means an hmm. axe angel axe angel she was an esthetician magazine in december in 2013 okay she was a Houston vintage hot rod calendar model Ooh, in 2013. La, la. Woo, woo. She was a music video vixen, a post brand ambassador. She was a Fomatix girl for the 2013 Houston Grand Prix. She was a model, a brand ambassador for event, live, print, and televised on NBC Sports. She was a wine ambassador. She was a Centrum brand ambassador. She was in a Walmart commercial, a Walmart radio interview, a Pringles brand ambassador, hmm. a Keebler brand ambassador. I she would probably sign me up. So many free snacks. Truly. Man. A Lay's Chips brand ambassador. Fuck yeah. Truly. She did stuff at various hair expos. The list goes on and on and on. Like I said earlier, she did a commercial for SeaWorld with JTT. Mm-hmm. Like that would probably top my list. A dream. So that was like, that. look at this. That's all of her, all of that blue highlight. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I'm showing Katie my phone right now. Anyway, okay, so she had a lot of job opportunities and did a lot of things and was a Jan of all trades. Mm -hmm. She described herself on her Model Mayhem profile as Hispanic with green eyes, blonde hair, very long hair, and no tattoos and no piercings. Her profile said that she weighed 98 pounds and was born in 1982 and had B-cups. Oh, Mm mm-hmm. Important. I guess if you're modeling and shit, they probably I'm sure want they, to know that. Well, yeah, because they also they asked for like bust. I mean, it said like bust size, hip size, all your measurements. All of that. Yeah. yeah. Um. It also said nude photography. No. Okay. That's kind of semi-important for later. Okay. Her last activity on the Model Mayhem profile was December 21st of 2013. I couldn't find much on her husband, who that's Kevin Inks, but everything I read said he had money. His home was on directly on a beach. Oh, okay. It was like a beach house that he lived in all year round. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he inherited this money or if he had a high paying job. It doesn't really matter. But I tried searching for like social media profiles. There was one Facebook profile that I found, but everything was private. I honestly didn't try super hard because his background doesn't much matter Mm -hmm. like him before, you know. Right. I found transcripts from an episode of the Dr. Phil show that Heather and her husband Kevin were guests on. Oh. Mm -hmm. So she was, this was before. Prior to the mess. Okay. All right. I'd love to just play the video, but Dr. Phil and his team don't really allow that. So instead, I will start with the transcript. Everything I'm about to say will be a direct quote from the Dr. Phil show transcripts on the website, and it will be found at the link in our show notes. Okay. What were they on there for? Uh, I'm intrigued. Well, they had a less than ideal marriage. Okay. 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 You know how Dr. Phil's episodes are always very drama, 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 dramatic. Okay. So just picture it. Okay. Quote. It was a picture-perfect wedding, a model marrying the handsome man that she says treated her like gold. But after a few years of marriage, 
Kevin and Heather are in a dangerous relationship filled with verbal abuse and violence. Should these two work on saving their marriage or get out before someone gets killed? Heather says Kevin has picked her up by her neck, thrown her to the ground, and held her at knife point, all in front of their three-year-old daughter, Mm. Penelope. Penelope. Mm-hmm. Little Penelope. Little Penelope. Little Penny. Kevin says Heather is controlling and gets in his face and all he is trying to do and all he tries to do is intimidate her. Yeah, with a fucking knife to your yeah, to her not, neck and strangling her. That's not what you do. Okay, sorry, Kevin, I don't but care you're wrong. How much she gets in your face. <sighs> wow. Carrying on with the quote. Kevin says that he's picked up the Bible and has seen the light. He insists his behavior is improving, and now it's Heather who needs to get help. Mm-hmm. The Dr. Phil show installed cameras in the couple's home to capture the fighting. You won't believe where their daughter ends up during all the chaos and the effect the dangerous fighting is having on her. And Heather's mom reveals why she never trusted Kevin. A camera installed in Heather and Kevin's home captures her three-year-old daughter, Penelope, screaming and kicking as Heather tries to tame her behavior. Sounds like the timeouts aren't really working, Kevin says to Heather. I hate that shit. Mm -hmm. I hate that. You know what? Then you come up with a better idea. Right. How about that? The fucking nitpicking? And maybe she wouldn't do that if if that wasn't the behavior she was seeing modeled. Exactly. In her home. Hmm. What would you suggest, honey? Heather asks him. I am devastated by everything my daughter has seen. Penelope witnesses Kevin being abusive to me all the time because she's with me all the time, Heather explains. In the couple's bedroom, with Penelope sitting right beside him on the bed, Kevin yells at Heather, What else is new? You're always paranoid. Penelope pleads with her dad, Daddy, 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 calm down, calm down, come on, calm Uh, down. Isn't that fucking heartbreaking? It's disgusting that she has to deal with that. God carrying on with the quote penelope acts out from what she sees from our conflict kevin reveals i know that it's affecting her and her tantrums and the things that she says such as i hate you daddy he explains why he taught his daughter the c word Mm. Mm -hmm. he taught his three-year-old daughter the c word in a fit of rage i said do you hear what mommy's saying she's acting like and i called her the c word and i spelled it out to my daughter and tried to get her to say it he oh says. so it wasn't even like she heard it and repeated it he actively tried he, to get her to say yeah. it. carrying on heather says that penelope no longer acts like a normal child when my daughter is angry with another child she runs over to them and wants to strangle them that's what happens she shares Ah. <sighs> Footage taken in Kevin and Heather's bedroom shows Penelope sitting next to her father saying, Daddy cheated. Kevin directs his response towards Heather. Isn't that such a nice thing for her to know? He asks. I wonder where she learned that. I wonder where she learned the C word. Yeah, right. Carrying on. As Kevin and Heather sit in their living room together, Heather says, you told me if you murdered me that you could just ask for God's forgiveness. Mm. Look, don't speak like that in front of our daughter, Kevin said. Well, unfortunately, she woke up. And you know what? We're running out of time, Heather says. You will be speaking to yourself now because I'm not going to have a conversation with you like that in front of our daughter, Kevin says as he gets up and walks out of the room. Heather worries for Penelope's safety when she's with her father. She says that when her daughter was about two or three months old, her crying annoyed him so much that he told me if I couldn't get her to shut up, that he would crush her skull with his bare hands and kill her. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. She recalls. More recently, Kevin took Penelope to the bathroom and spanked her. I heard my daughter scream, and then he spanked her two more times, she says. My daughter told me she was worried daddy was going to kill her. She also points out that Penelope doesn't like to be upstairs when Kevin is there. When she asks her daughter why, Penelope says, he's really mean. 
Dr. Phil then asks Heather, so like when they're sitting in the studio, what are you doing carrying that baby around with you while you're engaging in these yelling, screaming fights with your husband? This is still the transcript from the show, just so we're all on the same page. And Heather says, most of the time I carry her away and get in my vehicle and leave if I can, she says. A lot of times he follows me out and he's punched my vehicles. I am not blind, Dr. Phil tells her. You are carrying this child into the battle. I have you on tape carrying the child. You didn't think about that when you were talking when you were wanting to show us how ridiculous his behavior is. She doesn't like to be without me because she's worried about me, Heather replies. Every time I ask you something, you have an excuse. You have a dodge, Dr. Phil tells her. What I see is somebody who is nagging and antagonistically pecking away at another person with your child in the middle of it. He asks her why she behaves in that way. Sometimes because I want to resolve the conflict, she replies. She does say that our child needs to see healthy conflict resolution, and I just kind of laugh at her, Kevin says. Do you think that's healthy conflict resolution, Dr. Phil asks Heather. No, it's not, she says. I want to get some help. I leave and I go to shelters. Do you have any ownership in your bad judgment, Dr. Phil asks. Yeah, I should not have her in the middle of it, Heather says, but where do I go? This is so heartbreaking to me. Why is he blaming her? He's victim shaming and victim blaming. What the fuck? I know we probably shouldn't say that because Dr. Phil sues everyone. Um, he but can, that's our opinion. Sue me. Whatever. That's our opinion. That's dickish. I think that he wow. is victim shaming and victim blaming. He is. I don't know. Stop nagging. Honestly. Antagonizing like him? Stop, stop nagging at him. Stop <sighs> antagonizing him. And maybe he I don't won't like, hurt you? Yeah, exactly. Come on. So why does he get... So he gets to put a knife to her... And strangle her because she's trying to resolve a conflict. Yeah. It, this really resonated with me because this is how when Rory and I have arguments in our marriage, mm-hmm. I am the person who's constantly like, I want to get this solved. I yeah. want to talk about it. I want to figure it out. And he is the one who's always like walking away yeah. because he, in his brain, he thinks he needs some time before right. he can talk about it without blowing up. Mm-hmm. But I... I need to I need to I need to so I feel like that was them like Heather was the one who she just really needs to figure it out Mm -hmm. and Kevin wanted to walk away but he couldn't but that doesn't mean Rory doesn't then strangle me right and hold a knife to me right you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and she probably did want every fight I would assume starts off with the people wanting a resolution right so she probably did want her daughter to see a healthy conflict resolution, but he yeah. never allowed that to happen. Right. And then also she's saying she tries to leave. Like she has a daughter too that she's trying to think about. Right. And it sounds to me like he holds a lot of shit over her head. Mm-hmm. She knows he has the money. And so where is she going to get to go? Yeah, exactly. Carrying on with the transcript quote. Dr. Phil addresses Kevin's statement that he has been studying the Bible recently. Scripture is going to tell you that if you have evil thoughts, it's a short step to evil words. And if you have evil words, it's a short step to evil deeds. And you've got the thoughts, you've got the words, you've got the deeds, he says. Embracing those things may lead you to forgiveness, but it won't fix your rage if you don't put some deeds with your faith. Okay. 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 You're so poetic. He said that? Dr. Phil. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Honestly. Well, then we need to be apart so I can work on these things on my own then because I can't do it with constant bickering in my ear. She criticizes every single thing that comes out of my mouth, Kevin says. Dr. Phil then turns towards Heather and tells her, let me be real clear. I think you are incredibly naive. I think you simply want to be right. You're a right fighter. 
You want to have the last word. You want to be right, and that's so wrong. It ain't working for you. Maybe it's true, right? But that's not the biggest fucking problem exactly. here. Exactly. That's way down at the bottom. Who of the doesn't list, want okay? to be right and have the last right. word? Come on. Yeah. So she should get strangled. Why is that the and number have one problem? Her life threatened and her child's yeah. life threatened. Wow. Let's keep in mind he threatened to crush that baby's skull mm-hmm. with his hands. Mm-hmm. But we're focusing on Heather's issues. Oh, because he read the Bible, so everything's fine. It's all good now. Fuck off. Oh, continuing on. Dr. Phil turns back towards Kevin and he says, if you knew then what you know now, would you have still married Heather? I don't believe I would, he says. Asked the same question, Heather says no. Dr. Phil shows another video captured on the home camera where Kevin tells Heather everything that's wrong with her while Penelope is present. You have problems from your past that you have not resolved, Kevin says, listing them. Being molested, being abused, being kidnapped, being raped, running away from home numerous times, being emancipated when you were 13 years old, living on the streets and running away, living in people's back porches, hitchhiking to school with truck drivers when you were in middle school. That's right, Heather says. And you think that you're okay, he continues. Look at the camera and say that I'm okay. That's so disgusting to Mm -hmm. me. Let's bring up your past and the things that you probably had no fucking control over that happened to you. Right. And throw them in your face in front of our three-year-old daughter on camera when we know it's going to be aired nationally. Yeah, that's bullshit. But, but, Heather holds Penelope's hand, faces the camera, and says, Dr. Phil, I think I'm healthy and normal because I don't want to be abused. Just because I went through those bad things doesn't mean that has to continue for me and my daughter. When the tape ends, Dr. Phil addresses Heather and Kevin. Do you all understand when you fight in front of a child like that, that you change who she is? He asks, you're scaring your daughter. That is abuse. That is neglect. That is just simply wrong. Facing Heather, he asks, do you understand you, mother, are abusing your daughter? She nods. You are an abuser, he tells her. Do you get that? I understand that and I won't do it anymore, she says matter-of-factly. Well, problem solved, Dr. Phil says sarcastically. This man (laughs) is berating this woman in front of a live audience for compensation Mm -hmm. and putting her into an even deeper state of mind. Heather addresses Dr. Phil. My husband's told me if I take her and he finds us that he will take her and prostitute her out to get revenge on me. So I've been scared to leave, she says. Did your wife tell you that? Dr. Phil asks Kevin. Shaking his head, he says, I've said some stupid things. I don't ever recall saying that. Mm. That's something you don't forget, Dr. Phil points out. He looks to Heather and continues. You have not a right but a responsibility to get out of this marriage with your daughter right now, he tells her. It is dangerous if you stay there. You have a job. You are fiduciary for your child. She cannot protect herself. You have to protect her. And walking around with her on your hip or your leg or in your lap, going through this ridiculous thing you call a marriage is unacceptable. You need to get out before dark today. It's so weird to me because he's like blaming her, but then he's telling her she has to leave. Right. So she doesn't have to leave because it's her own fault, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand. So then Dr. Phil introduces some of the people in the audience that are related to the two of them. And one of them is Heather's uncle, Eddie. And he had even said that Heather and Penelope could go live with them. Okay. Um, And Dr. Phil asked Kevin, quote, you would be comfortable with her being with Eddie, would you not? 
with Eddie, yeah, I would, he says, but what does that mean? I want to see my daughter, he says. That's another thing, Dr. Phil. Since birth, she hasn't let me see my daughter at all by myself, and it's ridiculous. Well. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and so Dr. Phil says, you threatened to crush her head in anger, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Kevin said, she threatened before her life as well. So Dr. Phil then says, quote, I will call CPS and we will start actions to put this child into child protective services, Dr. Phil says. This child is going to find a safe haven and I will try to book and I will try to broker that with you guys, end quote. So that is the end of the transcript quote that I have. And I would like to say that everything got better and they stopped with the abuse. I'd like to tell you that Penelope had a wonderful, healthy and happy childhood. But you know why we're here and it's seldom for any happily ever afters Mm -hmm. the episode that featured heather and kevin aired in 2008 it's very evident that not only the marriage is an unhealthy one but even the relationship with penelope is unhealthy as well Mm. she was almost kind of like used as a pawn right Right. yeah she was and that's something that the show you know despite everything did point out um they would kind of both just be like my daughter my daughter my daughter Um, And then obviously Kevin was physically and verbally abusive. Right. Just because Heather had a certain way of conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. that does not give him the right to beat her. No. Or berate her. No. So as one would expect, their marriage did not get any better. And Heather and Kevin filed for divorce in 2012. By 2013, there were mutual restraining orders taken out against each other. The two ended up having to go to court over Penelope and child custody. And Penelope, okay, so Penelope was born in 2004, making her right around nine years old-ish when the custody battle started to get heated. Okay. There was a hearing scheduled that Heather didn't show up for, in which Kevin then was granted sole custody of Penelope, kind of like by default, supposedly. And little did authorities know at the time, Heather had decided to go on the run. An arrest warrant was automatically issued for Heather when she failed to show up for the court hearing, and it wasn't long before Heather was declared a wanted fugitive by the FBI, and a bulletin was released to the media. Quote, Heather Renee Inks is currently a wanted fugitive that was residing in Galveston County, Texas. She has two current charges pending against her, being unlawful flight to avoid prosecution and interference with child custody. Further, she is currently under investigation for aggravated kidnapping and child endangerment. She allegedly abducted her 11-year-old daughter, Penelope Carmel Inks. The child was last seen in Fugitive Inks' custody and possession on October 27th of 2014. Inks was ordered to be in court and never showed up to surrender the child. (sighs) It's a doozy, you know? (laughs) This whole fucking thing has got goddamn mess. As if no one saw it coming. Right. Okay. Kevin ended up posting a YouTube video after hiring a private investigator. Oh. Hello, Penelope. It's been a long time. Um, I think about you every single day that goes by. Um, I still live on the beach. I'm there quite frequently walking the dog, and I see families together and fathers playing with their daughters, and I miss having that with you very much. Um, I wonder how tall you are right now. I wonder if you're continuing to be a fantastic artist. This is one of the last pieces that you gave me. Um, and for now, the only thing that I have on to hold is the pictures of you. Um, these are some of the last ones that we have together. Um, I just can't wait 
to hold you in my arms, for real. Um, I have a lot of your belongings that um, you weren't able to take with you. I have a lot of your clothes, even though I'm sure you won't fit them anymore. I have all your books. I have your electron microscope that I bought you for your birthday. It's just like somebody. Strange. That's yeah. really strange. And I'll obviously I'll, we'll make sure that we put the video in the show notes and in the group and everything. He's just like sitting on his couch with bare feet, mind you, in front of like his beach house door mm-hmm. with like her belongings scattered around him. So it's clearly yeah. something he was advised to do. Right. Um. It was just. And it Hello, was just, Penelope. It was so weird. And the first right? half was like all about him. Yes, I still love on the beach. Yeah, like nobody cares that you live. I on the walk beach. my dog. Okay, great. Whew. Anyway, okay. There were also multiple Facebook pages started, which is normal, right? Um, I'm fairly certain that the one I found the next statement off of is legit because Kevin's mom actually commented on it. Okay. And the statement reads, "Quote." After getting divorced in 2012, my ex-wife, Heather Perry Inks, did not allow me my visitation rights with my daughter, Penelope Inks, age seven then. I took Heather to court several times, and the judge gave her several chances to abide by the custody order. Heather was finally given a 60-day suspended jail sentence and two years probation for violating our custody agreement. At that time, I asked the court to perform a psychological evaluation on Heather. The court agreed if I paid for it. I also paid for one on myself and my daughter. I went to all of my psychological evaluation appointments and completed my evaluation. Heather went to one appointment, kidnapped my daughter, and never showed up in court again. The court attempted to contact her numerous times because she failed to appear to our next court hearing. No one could get a hold of her nor locate her because she abandoned her condo that she was leasing. It appeared when I went to the condo with her landlord that she left no belongings behind, not even a toothbrush. Why would the fuck would she leave a toothbrush? Right. (laughs) That's odd. (laughs) The condo was in horrific shambles where no child should ever be forced to live in. From dirty dishes piled up in the sink to multiple empty wine and liquor bottles. Sue me. (laughs) You'll find the same in mine. Are they at my house? God. (laughs) Hello. But he also goes on to say, to cat feces, which she abandoned the cats as well. To mold in the refrigerator and a broken bedroom window, which which was my daughter's room. On her printer, there were several printouts from Craigslist for men seeking women. Since February 18th of 2014, the last time I laid eyes on my daughter, I have been living in fear for my daughter's safety and well-being. I have contacted the FBI, and it seems like it is not progressing at all. I have also contacted Galveston PD, Tiki Island PD, the sheriffs, the constables, several other agencies, including KHOU, which I think is a news station local to him, and no one has had any success in locating her. On October 27th of 2014, I was granted full custody of my daughter, and she has absolutely no parental rights whatsoever. She has multiple warrants in the TCIC and NCIC. I am pleading for your help to find my missing daughter. The poor decisions my ex-wife has made is putting my daughter's safety in jeopardy. I have exhausted all avenues that I know of and you are my last hope. Please help me find my daughter. Please share this page in hopes to bringing my daughter home. End quote. So that was from the Bring Penelope Home Facebook page. And that was supposedly his statement Mm -hmm. in the About Me section. So time goes on. It seems like all hope of finding Heather and Penelope, at least safely, is lost. So at this time, it's been six years. This is April 3rd, 2020. Okay. So six years since they've been on the run. 
This is a quote. Klein Investigations, a firm Kevin Inks hired to help find his daughter, said in a press release that authorities then discovered Penelope had been abandoned, in, but in the same motel, just a different room, in Madisonville, Texas, just two hours from the Texas City home she went missing from. Officials made access to another room in the hotel and discovered Penelope in the room. The investigation firm said, adding that Penelope was found in an emaciated state and is being treated at a local hospital. Wow. And she was there just alone. Yeah. Wow. The mom was in a... This statement said that they were found separately. Okay. Philip Klein, the private investigator, told ABC 13 the now 16-year-old girl weighed about 74 pounds and was living on Dr. Pepper and candy Uh and initially refused to eat after authorities found her because she was confused on who to trust Mm. and on who not to trust, end quote. Wow. Now, that was a statement. Um, and Klein Investigations, like I said, it's the firm. It's a private investigative firm. Mm-hmm. That's the one that Kevin Inks hired. Okay. And Philip Klein, the private investigator, is the one who gave the info out about her only being 74 pounds and living on Dr. Pepper. And so Sandy. is any of it even true? Exactly. Oh, we don't God. know. Okay. I mean, it, there's a picture of her from something, and it definitely looks like she's underweight. Mm-hmm. But is it true that she's living on Dr. Pepper and Candy? Right. I don't, we don't know right. for sure. So the same people put out a press release. Okay. And that says, quote, this afternoon, KIC Texas has been retained regarding the parental kidnapping of Penelope Carmel Inks by her mother, Heather Renee Inks. The mother kidnapped the child in October of 2014 from Galveston, Texas. Heather Inks, also known as the nude model kidnapper, I'll get to uh, that later, course. is known to have ties in Florida and California, and there is a suggestion that she may be attempting to work in the porn industry. The FBI Houston has declared her armed and dangerous. Do not approach this woman. Call 911, the FBI hotline, or if you do not want to work with the LE, call our offices at blah, 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 blah. Again, this is a very dangerous situation, and we need to make this website viral, as well as a new Facebook site, blah, blah, blah. They just go on to talk about social media. Mm-hmm. Guys, um, really quick, quote. I don't know what the fuck is going on. There's a fucking dog out there. There's a train going by. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry so about it. if you hear it. it, that's what it is. It's yeah. fine. Everything's fine. Um. So, and once again, that was from the Klein people again. Okay. I did a little bit of a deep dive and there's like justice pages for Heather and then the people saying that this PI office is actually under investigation for other things. Oh, yeah. Well. So it's like a social media war. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some screenshots that I'm going to just quickly go over. It also said that Kevin started a revenge porn website. Oh, of course. And there were photographs, but they looked like they were professionally taken and you can see them on Google and it just like blocked out the tit. Um, but I don't know if those are ones that she had pre- professionally taken and he saw them that was her husband mm-hmm. and then he put them on this revenge porn website or if they were for someone else and she did nude modeling in the past but she no longer did it right you know it's we're never gonna know hmm. on one of the pages there was this photo obviously they can't see it but that's supposedly penelope standing oh. behind a pole and that's kevin like kneeling down trying to get her to come to him uh. Isn't that scary looking? There's no way of knowing if that's even no, a child. It's not sure. It's not sure. It's not sure. <laughs> it's not sure. Um, that could be like one of those things that your grandma had, the fake looking little kids that were exactly. like standing, you know? <laughs> exactly. At the time of all of this happening, being found and everything, Penelope was put into CPS care. 
Okay. So she was not with her mom. She was not with her dad. Her mom, so Heather, originally went to jail, clearly. And then she was at some jail in Texas. And then on social media, it said she was moved for for PTSD treatment. Okay. Um, There's this guy who started a page that said he used to be close to her in high school. Which, who knows what that means, right? Right. Could have mean he was obsessed with her. She looked at him once. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they were. We don't know. There's like certain things that he posted that said that in the jail, the deputies would forget to give her breakfast. She had allergies and asthma that were uncontrolled because she didn't get an inhaler. Mm -hmm. So just like bad treatment or inhumane treatment. And then Philip Klein, who was the head of this private investigative firm, got into a fight with that guy who made this Facebook page publicly. This whole thing. Yes. It just got bad. And Philip Klein, there's like a a screenshot that I did of it. So I'll put it in there. But it says, Mr. Foxworthy, which is the guy who started the justice for her page. Okay. You are a liar. Nobody ran anything against your friend, Heather. He put friend in quotation marks. She was a wanted fugitive from justice. How could her ex-husband poison her, which is what she called in and said, if she had not spoken to him in over five years? She now fully admits she had not spoken to him in over six years. Nobody is running an off-the-books operation on anyone. So please stop being stupid, (laughs) writing stupid things, and for sure, do your homework. We have operated over 31 years with over 800 captures of kidnapped children and their abductors from around the world. Get educated, sir get educated we still would like to interview you (laughs) (laughs) my god and we want and we hear the feds do as well please make yourself available thanks p klein and then he had to put his credentials after his name yeah of course and then there was a jefferson county corruption uh like texas facebook and that's how it came out that the Philip Klein and Klein investigators were under investigation for state jail felony, illegal bounty hunting mm. involving 42 potential victims, wow. which is a totally separate violation. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Ooh, so that was a wild one. You don't know about those PIs either, like how biased they're going to be. Exactly. You don't or, know for sure. I mean, same sure. with police, I guess, too. Oh, you but don't know. But they're making money. Exactly. Off of like directly from the person that hired them they're making money and he had money he had a lot of money to spend wow so here's the thing so that's that's it that's what Mm -hmm. i got for you yeah um it's it's still ongoing Mm -hmm. obviously it's not going to be over for a long time but at least penelope is not in a hotel room anymore yeah hopefully she's she's okay i hope so i really hope she's okay and mom's in jail mom is in jail or potentially at a treatment center okay for her ptsd it wasn't clear because that was that the social media page so Mm -hmm. i don't know how true that was she may be in jail she may be in a treatment center either way she's not with penelope yeah right (laughs) um here's the thing i've written books like this before (laughs) (laughs) like where the i don't necessarily think that it is super off the cuff or like out of this realm of thinking that he was trying to poison her right what if he knew where she was yeah and wanted to make her look crazy yeah and he did something or had someone else do something Mm -hmm. why would she just randomly do that after six years yeah why would that be the thing that she comes up with right yeah that doesn't i get the ptsd and the trauma i'm sure she had tons of it especially if what he said on camera was true Mm -hmm. but i don't think that she would say poison like what why call to begin with? Right. Why? And after six years. Yeah. 
you know if something wasn't going on yeah yeah that's weird. i just think that maybe he fa- maybe the pi found him her maybe maybe he found her and he just made it wanted to dig the knife deeper he, maybe he wanted to make sure that he was going to get penelope exactly or something exactly Wow. I don't know. Crazy story. Yeah. I'd never heard of that. Neither did I. Wow. Neither did I. And you would think that you would hear about it more. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. Right. <sighs> Lord. That was a good one to go out on, I think. Yeah. You guys have to let us know any of your theories. Do any I feel of the like... theories we talked about, especially for for Joan. Because yeah. there's less answers, I think. You know what you know what I mean? Yeah. She's still... Got no idea No one knows. But I do think maybe some of our Texas friends... Yeah, have heard about that because we have true. quite a few listeners in texas mm-hmm. all right well that was fun what are you reading, on a watching? lighter note <laughs> what are you reading watching or listening to Anything? i'm reading um becoming mrs abbott by oh. kirsten modulin okay and um i'm only like on page two okay i just finished the good neighbors by her i've fallen down a hole yeah okay <laughs> and i can't get up um, i think that that's all i'm reading currently right i don't know if it if i'm not it's not important yeah um, I'm watching Criminal Minds. Yeah, did you find some to watch? Yeah, I've been I've watched a couple of them. Um, I'm currently on the one where I think his name is Reed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it meets like this telephone girl over the internet, and she uh-huh. goes missing. I'm watching that one right now. Okay. Um, and I'm listening to nothing. I've not listened to any podcast at all. No, there's just been zero time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? I am starting to read your book that you sent me uh-huh. that you wrote. It's not one that's out, guys. It's just like um pre pre copy. Yeah, a little. Like, I need to see what's real fucked up so yeah. I can change it. I gotta tell her what out. she needs to do to fix this shit. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but whenever you do release it, you guys, you listeners are gonna like it. It's gonna be right up your alley. Yeah, it's a crime thriller. Yeah, listening to I listened to the morbid two part on Carl Panzram. Actually, I didn't finish the second one because it was just a bummer really it was they did an well, awesome I job <laughs> yeah they did an awesome job it's very very thorough but it's like two parts on the same guy they're both like the one's like 98 minutes long and the other one's like over an hour wow. so it's just a lot a lot a lot of shitty stuff that this guy does heavy information and i was just i haven't finished the second part yet i don't know if i'm going to they do an awesome job like i said it's just the subject matter uh-huh mm-hmm. yeah which is weird coming from know. us it's just because it's it's so much of it i think yeah. it's not like a 30 minute thing and exactly then it's done it's just like so on much at and once on and rape and rape and rape and murder and murder i'm just like all right i think we're done mm-hmm. but i love them they're great yeah um they make anything interesting even if it's boring and they do great fucking research mm-hmm. you have yeah. to give that to them they're they they're do. awesome with they that they really do um, I'm watching um, Scandal's still been on in the background. Oh, I've started it. it. Oh, I keep falling asleep watching it, so then I have to go back. Um, but I started, I think I told you about this one, The Undoing on HBO. I was telling oh, you about it. That's um, Nicole Kidman, Scott. There's a the... book that's based on a book or something. It might be. I think I saw like something about it. Yeah. But I no, I haven't, I haven't tried it yet. But it's got Nicole Kidman. It's got, um, who's the English guy? Hugh Grant? I think that's who you told me last time. Hugh Grant, time. yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's a thriller, like yeah. domestic thriller. It's murdery. It's mystery-ish. It's suspenseful. You would love it. I really yeah, think I wanna, you would like I it. Really, I have to see if we have HBO or not. Yeah, it's on HBO Max or whatever it's called. You might think the first episode's a little slow. You might not. I don't know. But once you get to like the yeah. end of the first one, it's like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, you know me. Yeah. I just have a trouble 
getting invested. You just have to make yourself sit there and chill yes, and, and zone get out and the watch fucking it. words out of my head. But yes, you cruel coven, you would probably all love it too if you've got HBO. Check it out. I'm and, not a Nicole Kidman fan usually, but she's good. Yeah, and you guys are gonna need something to do since this is our last episode. Yeah. You keep saying that like it's our last episode ever. Yeah, I know. I'm just building up the suspense. (laughs) (laughs) Your Thursdays are going to be dull without us. I'm just kidding. The thing is, we're probably still going to have nothing to fucking talk about. Oh, exactly. But (laughs) I wanted to just reiterate, I know we mentioned it briefly in the last episode, but we will still be pumping out the Patreon content. Yes. So in the middle of the holidays and Hannah's birthday and then my birthday, Nora's birthday, right before the season. We're still going to make sure that we are giving you guys the Patreon content for sure. Yes. We'll still be on there. We'll still be on the Facebook group, mm-hmm. which is Cruel and Unusual colon the group. This is going to be way out of order today. Ooh. We're still going to be on Instagram at Cruel and Unusual the pod. We're still going to be on Twitter. You're still going to be. I'm still going to be. Tweet. I tweet. Tweet. <laughs> You're still going to tweet. <laughs> I'm probably not, but I'll be there at Cruel Unusual pod. You can always send us an email always. at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com or go to cruelinkmedia.com. Cruel Ink Media. It's hard to like pronounce to say Cruel Ink cruel Media. Ink Media. Oh, you guys. I know a lot of you, Coven, are in our reader group. Mm-hmm. If you're not, you better make sure that you're in there because December 1st through December 12th, we're having uh, like bookish giveaways every day. Yeah, giveaways for the in holidays. There. Oh, um, and the sock exchange. We're doing the sock exchange. I think Elfster is pulling the names like tomorrow or the next day. We're doing our sock exchange. Yeah. If you're listening and you're, you've already signed up and you're a part of it, it doesn't have to be anything no fancy you don't need to be like oh i'm gonna put in some lotion no just the socks just the socks are fine keep it simple we don't need to get overwhelmed we're all overwhelmed all Mm -hmm. the fucking time (laughs) they don't even have to be christmas socks they can have blood on them katie sees katie sees pictures and tori sees words (laughs) and tori hears words that's fucking (laughs) just fitting um also you guys remember if for some if something happens and you are unable to purchase socks for someone and you already mm-hmm. signed up, just reach out to Katie or I, yeah. and we will make sure that we do it. No, Don't worry about no it; it's asked. fine. And also, if you guys need anything, if you need to talk to somebody, if something is going on, we are here. Message us on social media. Mm-hmm. Just because we're not posting an episode on Thursdays doesn't we're mean that we're not be here. Posting in the group and mm-hmm. talking to you guys. So it feels bittersweet. It's bittersweet, but it's not. <laughs> it's been forever. real and it's been fun. <laughs> But has it been real fun? <laughs> okay. All right, guys. We we're love going. you. We love you. So much. Until 2021. Bye. Bye. Bye.